0: This morning, we're going to resume our study in the book of Revelation. Uh, Today, if you have your Bible, I'm going to be preaching a message out of Revelation chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12, and let me take just a few minutes uh, to kind of summarize where we are in our verse-by-verse, expositional, exegetical study of the apocalypse. The word apocalypsis in Greek simply means the unveiling. And when you read the book of Revelation, all 22 chapters, you realize that there are more than one entity being unveiled. For example, the future of the world is being chronologically unveiled before our eyes as we read, especially as we read today in chapter 9. But more importantly and preeminently, there's another unveiling transpiring in this sacred text, and it is the unveiling of none other than Jesus Christ and who He is and His reign and His rule in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Many people approach Revelation with uh, trepidation, or they don't approach it at all. And they say, well, it's too mysterious, it's too strange. There are too many things going on in the book of Revelation. I cannot understand it, therefore I will not read it. And that is a travesty for the follower of Christ, because God did not preserve this book for it to be avoided. God wants us to read it. God wants us to make attempts at understanding it. And so I thank you for your encouragement, for your prayers for me as I study this book with you and on Sundays as I get to preach God's Word. Now, Revelation chapter 9, we're right in really the heart of what is known as the Great uh, Tribulation. It is a seven-year period in the future, a time that will come known as Jacob's sorrow or the woe's Uh, of Israel. It is a time where God punishes planet earth. He unleashes his holy wrath and fury on the inhabitants on planet earth, and he uses even the devil to do his work. I love what Martin Luther said many years ago. He said, the great reformer, the devil is still God's devil. And so he submits to the Lord, as you'll see in Revelation chapter 9. Three and a half years have passed, and now we're at what you would call the mid-tribulation point. Three and a half more years are about to happen in Revelation 9 through chapter 18. Uh, Let me give you just a a few uh, things to tuck into your mind as you put this in a chronology or as you put it within a a landscape that gives you some parameters that you may be able to understand it. There are three different tribulation views. First of all, there's the pre-tribulation view that goes like this. Many people, myself included, believe that there will be a rapture of the church of God. Could happen at any moment, hasn't happened yet, but could happen at any moment where Jesus Christ literally whisked us away, takes us away, and then the tribulation happens. So you have the pre trib, which means that we, as followers of Christ, the church, we are not here. Number two is called the mid tribulation view. Now, the mid tribulation view goes like this that the church will go through three and a half years of sorrow and difficulty. We will not be exposed to the greater, the more harsh uh, tribulations as we read in Revelation. So we'll be taken out by Christ about the midway point. And then there is the post, which means after. The post-tribulation goes like this, that we're going to experience it all. We're going to drink all the, the bitter gall, the dregs at the bottom of the cup, and we are going to experience it just like everybody else And then Christ will come and set up his millennial kingdom. So that's the tribulation views. Now, when you come to Revelation 9, man, it is a fascinating passage of Scripture. It is is filled with metaphors. It is filled with uh, comparisons. It is filled with the wrath of God. And it is filled with the determination of man, even in the midst of horrendous circumstances, not... To return to God and say, God, we are sorry, but what happens like Pharaoh of old? Mankind's heart begins to even become more ossified and and more calcified and more entrenched and more recalcitrant, more than ever. And instead of turning to God for salvation, the people in Revelation chapter 9, they actually try to commit suicide. They try to kill themselves, anything except to bow their knee to the Lordship of Christ. And so Revelation 9, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It is very, very fascinating. This message really should take me about an hour and 15 minutes to preach it. And I know I don't have that much time, and you don't have that much time. And I do understand the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. And so I I know I have a propensity to go a little bit long in my preaching. I found, though, a, a survey was done. This is not a joke. I made that sound like it's a joke. This is not a joke. It's a true story. I was part of the survey the average length of time a preacher preaches in Central Texas is, anybody want to guess? Somebody said 45 minutes. You know, that is exactly right. The average uh, sermon length in Central Texas is 45 minutes, so I'm kind of right in in there, give or take, mostly take a a, a few minutes. So, So here it is. This is a... It is a wonderful text. Now, when you read it, don't try to understand everything at once. Just listen, absorb it, and then allow me just to share with you just some of the study and and let you and me try to unpack it and try to explain it. And then you just kind of ruminate on it, chew on it, think about it, and come away with this. More than anything, this is what I want you to come away with. No matter how bad it gets... No matter how difficult the circumstances are, God always wins. He always wins. He always comes out on the victorious side. And we were praying earlier this morning. Brother Felix Daly prayed. He said, God, we come with many needs. And everybody in here today has a need. You have a financial need. You have a marital need. You have a social need. You have an emotional need. You have a physical need. We are needy people. And so you may say, well, yeah, Brother Danny, we are needy. What in the world does Revelation have to do with my needs? Listen, it has everything to do with your need because if God is who He says He is in the book of Revelation, He can do anything. He can meet every need that we have. And here it is. Then the fifth angel sounded. Now, this is the fifth of seven trumpet judgments. There are 21 judgments of God in Revelation 6 through 19. There are seven, what they call the seal judgments. There are seven trumpet judgments, and there are seven bowl judgments. We've already looked at the first seven of the seven uh, sealed. Now we are come to the fifth trumpet, which will put us right in the midpoint of the 21 uh, judgments. So when he says the fifth angel, this is the fifth trumpet judgment, it sounded forth. And John the seer, John the revelator, John the mystic apostle, John who has received This revelation of Jesus Christ and the future of the world, John says, and I saw in this vision, I saw a star fallen from heaven. Now, the word fall there is in the perfect tense in the Greek New Testament, and this is extremely important. I don't put up, I don't talk a whole lot about tenses and verbs and stuff in Hebrew and Greek, but this time I must. Whenever the perfect tense is used in the Greek, it means this it refers to an action that has completed that has current implication and future ramification. Let me say it again. A perfect tense Greek verb refers to an act in the past, but that act in the past has more to do not just with the past, but also has more to do with the present and even to the future. So when he says that star has fallen, there's a lot in there. A star has fallen. And because it has fallen, it has implications for the present, and it has even implications for the future. Please remember that when we try to ascertain who or what this star is. The star from heaven, it came to earth. Now to him. Now notice the pronoun him refers to the star. So we know the star cannot be an inanimate object, right? Right? Because you don't refer to a seat, a bench, carpet, stars in heaven. You don't refer to that with a personal pronoun. You refer to that as an it. But John says the star is a person. Okay? So to him, to the star that has fallen from heaven, there was given to him the key to the abysmos. The abyssos. In Greek, it literally means the abyss. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And then there was opened. The abyssmas the bottomless pit was open and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Now, if you can imagine the abyss, the bottomless pit, hell, inferno, It just belches, if you will. And up from that, John sees during this fifth trumpet judgment of God, it's like hell is opened up and the villains and the inhabitants of hell below come up to the earth's surface. I got chill bumps on me as soon as I said that because I know what's about to happen. And let me just say, I sure hope the pre-tribulation guys are right because we don't want to be here when this breaks loose. Watch what happens. Then out of the smoke, locusts came. They came upon the earth. And to them was given exousia, okay, not dunamis. It's like God has given them the authority to do what they are about to do. Remember, the star, the devil himself, and these demonic hordes, they are still under the authority of Almighty God, and God unleashes them to do their work. And it's pretty devastating. Let me read it and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. See, even during the tribulation, there are going to be people saved. They're going to be, in Revelation chapter 7, they are going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and they're going to preach. They're going to be evangelists. They're going to be evangelists. They're going to preach the gospel. Many people are going to be saved. And Revelation 21, Revelation 7 says, they will have on on their foreheads the name of God. And so these mighty, grotesque, awesome creatures out of hell below, they go and inflict pain on people who are on planet Earth unless you belong to God. They were not given authority to kill the people, but they were given authority to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death. Watch this, attempted suicide. They will seek death. They cannot find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. Now watch this. The shape of these locusts was like... Now, here we go. So it's not really locusts, right? Locusts are these little bitty creatures, and scorpions are little bitty creatures. But John is speaking metaphorically, he's speaking figuratively, and at this point, scholars, they disagree. Some, like Paige Patterson, it surprised me. He says, all of this is metaphorical. All of this is in the spiritual realm, And these creatures are very real, these demonic creatures, but the pain that they inflict is more of a spiritual pain, not a physical pain. And he he may be right. Who am I to argue with Paige Patterson? But I'm going to lean a little more towards somehow this unknown species is coming forward. I don't know how it's all going to happen, but it's going to be treacherous. On their heads were Stephanos, victorious crowns of something like gold, John said. And their faces were like the faces of men. Y'all see this yet? These locusts, long tails like a scorpion, faces like men, hair like women, not the hair of a horse, which would be called what? A mane. But it's women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. They're impregnable, impenetrable. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. You all know what the lifespan of a locust is, right? It's five months. Interesting. Two times it tells you five months, these hideous creatures are going to inflict pain on unredeemed humanity for five months. won't kill them, but it sure will make them wish they were dead. And they had as their king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, destruction, but in Greek, he has the name Apollyon, Apollyon means to destroy. John says, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. What he's saying is, two more trumpet judgments are coming even after this one. It's ominous. It's it, it, it boggles your mind, your imagination. And John is taking mere human language, and he's cr- trying to describe whether whether it's physical, or meta- metaphorical. You decide, you interpret it. But but whatever it is, it's going to be a very awesome, in in the sense of the word, a a destructive time on planet Earth where God judges the hearts of men. There are five things I want to try to get through these. If I don't make it through all five, we'll, we'll pick it up next time we preach on Revelation. But first of all, there's a fallen angel. If you'll look at it, or a fallen star in verse 1. Now we know it's a person, right? Because it's in, uh, it's in the per- pronoun vocabulary. It is a fallen star. There are two interpretations. If you want to get this real quick, jot these down. Number one, by the way, I've got seven, and, and, and after today, Uh, There are going to be eight pages of single space manuscript on this one sermon. When I have five pages, that is about a 45-minute sermon. You do the math, okay? So i got to talk fast and and, and get get us through. The fallen star, there are two interpretations. Number one, this is an angel who is sent from heaven by God to unleash the hordes of hell. Okay, that is theory number one. Theory number two, it is none other than the devil himself. And this is what I believe, because of the perfect tense, fallen, something that has happened in the past that has current and future ramifications. Interesting, when you read, for example, in Ezekiel 14, I think we have this on the screen, you read Isaiah chapter 28, in Revelation chapter 12, there is a pre-cosmic fall of the enemy. Satan falls, and, and many people believe as he falls out of heaven, he takes a third of the angels with him, they become demonic forces And he says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, watch this, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Okay, I will sit on the mount of the congregation, on the father's sides of the north. I will ascend, this is the enemy talking in his pre-cosmic fall. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like L.L. El Yon. I will be like God. I deserve it. I'm as good as God. I'm as strong as God ever was. I am Lucifer, son of the morning, and I'm going to be worshiped just like God. And when he did that, God said, boom, he cast him out of the heaven above. Listen. God has no equals. He has no parallels. He is God, a God alone. He is God, and he does not share his glory and his worship with anybody or anything. All right. He said, I'm going to send to the heavens, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So we have this fallen star. Number two, we have a bottomless pit, uh, Abusas. The bottomless pit. How many times is it mentioned just in this narrative alone? It's mentioned like three, a uh, uh, different times. So, in verse, in verse two, it says, "and or one." It says, "To him was given the key to the bottomless pit." Here's how I describe the bottomless pit: It is a place of incarceration of demonic or fallen angels. It is a wretched place of torment, fire, and smoke. Now. What is this? Why are some demons incarcerated, and yet others are free to roam upon planet Earth? Well, I think 2 Peter 2, 4, and I think Jude 6 refer to these incarcerated demonic spirits, and I don't don't really know why or how, but some are incarcerated even now, and they're going to be let out during the Great Tribulation where some already have free reign uh, to roam. It's interesting that Jesus, when he cast out, remember this? Remember he cast out the thousands of, of demons and threw them into the swine, to the, to the herd of swine? And they, and they begged him, remember this verse 31, that he would do not command them to go out into the abyss. They, they begged him, please do not command us to go into the abyssos. It's the same Greek word as used in Revelation. Dr. John Phillips puts it like this, and I, I just cannot improve on this. Let me read it to you. Picture what the world would be like if it were to open all the doors of all the penitentiaries on earth and set free the world's most vicious and violent criminals, giving them full reign to practice their infamies upon mankind, but something far worse than that lies in store for the future of the world. Satan, cast out of heaven, is now permitted to summon to his aid the most diabolical fiends, In the abyss to act as his agents in bringing mankind to the footstool of the beast. End of quote. Verse 2 says that there's a smoke that just belches forth from the pit. It makes the air, it makes the sun darkened. So you have a fallen star, you've got this bottomless pit, and now, number three, you've got these hideous, harmful creatures. You know, when I studied Revelation chapter 9, and I don't know what you've been doing on Thanksgiving, but I've been studying. I've been studying a lot. Because if there is a, a fog, up, a mist up here, there's going to be a fog out there. So you, you just keep praying for me that I will study and be a good interpreter of Scripture. But my mind thought about Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Have anybody, has anybody in the house seen or do you know what an orc is? That is the most hideous, ungodly-looking creature that I have ever seen on the cinema. I'm, tell, I'm going to go see. I've already seen the three. I'm, I'm going to watch The Hobbit and all those things. I like them hobbits, amen, They make me feel tall. I like the hobbits. <laughs> but those, those creatures, I, I really think Tolkien must have read Revelation 9. I mean, he in his mind, he, he is created and crafted, and, and, and Peter Jackson, how these guys do this. Animation. They have created create the most hideous, awful looking creatures. Listen, they are birthed out of Mordor. They are literally manufactured and, fun, and, and they are functional in the abyss and they come up out of the earth and, and, and under Sauron's leadership, by the way, and they proliferate Middle Earth. You say, this is just very creepy to me. This is very interesting. Well, wait till I read this. Who is the hero? in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. White robe. What's his name? Gandalf the what? The white. Gandalf the white. Aragon says this about uh, Gandalf. So I went to church today and my pastor quoted Aragon, but here it is. You are our captain, Gandalf, and you are our banner. The dark lord has nine, But we have one mightier than they, the white rider. He has passed through the fire and the abyss, Gandalf has, and they shall fear him. We will go where Gandalf leads us. Now listen, Tolkien was a follower of Christ. And it's not hard to see a type of Christ in Gandalf. Listen, it's not hard to see a type of Christ in Aslan, the great Lion. In C.S. Lewis' uh, trilogy, the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe. Isn't it interesting? Some of the greatest minds, there's been birthed in their mind a meta narrative. There's been birthed in the genius of their mind this cosmic raging battle of good versus evil. Oh, church, listen, where do they get that? Where does anybody get a concept? That there is this harsh, almost indomitable evil that pervades planet earth. And surely, surely if there is an orc, there has to be a Gandalf. Surely if there is a wicked witch, there has to be an Oslin. Surely if there is a devil of hell, there must be a God. There must be a Jesus Christ who will come and rule and reign. All of these meta-narratives, all of these micro-stories, it's like God is shouting to the world, it's true, it's all true. There is an evil, there is a pervasive evil that is powerful and palpable. When you read the book of Revelation, he is unleashed, but oh, take heart, as great as he is, greater still is almighty God. It's like God just, it's like he just, He birthed these concepts and these creatures and these ideas. And it's it's almost like reading the Bible. These harmful creatures. We're going to look at how they're described. And I am going to go quickly. But the the two primary arachnids, the two primary gross insects to which they are compared are locusts. Somebody help me And what? Scorpions. Now let me ask you a question. If somebody came to you and said, do you like locusts and scorpions? You would say, absolutely, unequivocally, no. Locusts, by the way, a desert locust in the swarms still today of northern Africa. Listen to these creatures. At least one-tenth of the world's population is affected with these desert locusts and their voracious appetites. I'm reading a quote of an article that I read. Each insect is capable of eating its own body weight in vegetation every day. Sounds like some of us, amen, during Thanksgiving. But anyhow, a swarm that size could consume 192 million kilograms of vegetation every day, 423 million pounds. The United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization have developed... These aerial shots, they have developed this massive combative army to find these desert locusts and try to obliterate them before they consume the green vegetation. I was reading just this week, in August of this year, uh, in Madagascar, there was a swarm of locusts that descended on the capital of Madagascar that darkened the skies. Isn't that fascinating? The locusts were of such immense proportions in, in, in their number that they darkened the skies. Now, the United Nations have teamed up with nobody other than NASA, and they have joined forces to kill the locusts, that they have the Global Information Early Warning Service. They have joined with NASA's moderate resolution imaging spectro radio, radiometer. And Jim Tucker of NASA says this about locusts. Now, with modern remote sensing capabilities and today's advanced communication networks, these desert locusts, they should be a thing of the past. Come on, people, we're still dealing and fighting with locusts. In the 21st century, and God uses as an analogy of these demonic spirits, none other than a locust. How about the scorpions? Do y'all know? There are 1,050 species of scorpions. Every single species can bite you and hurt you. But if you come across this red bad boy in India, and I even got his name. Help me. Androctonus crasicata. Gross Insect. When he bites you, you die. Lethal venomization. When that scorpion—listen, if you go with me in India in February, you ought to go with me. Listen, snakes crawl under your bed, rats crawl under your bed, and scorpions crawl over your feet. It's wonderful. How many want to sign up and go? Listen, don't let this thing bite you because if it does, it's, it's almost always lethal. One writer says, I compare the pain of most scorpion stings to hitting oneself on the thumb with a hammer. It's toxic, it's systemic, it rampages through your body. And here's the last quote, the victim is normally very anxious. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. And so here are these locusts, here are these scorpions, and John says, these creatures that emanate out of the abyss They remind me they're like locusts and scorpions. And then real quick, it says, they're very large. They're like horses prepared for the day of battle. Uh, Becky Dean, I got to tell you, you know what I'm thinking? I bet you know what I'm thinking. Becky is, her and Russ, great, brilliant Baylor grads, amen. And uh, she's a writer. She's a novelist, a science fiction writer. We need to get her books when they come out. But she recommended me last year, she said, you need to read the Scorpio races. And I said, well, I'll read the Scorpio races. Oh, my word. M- Maggie Stiefvater, however you say her name, she has created these creatures that come out of the water, and these horses have these massive teeth, and they kill the riders. And, and by the way, in 2015, it's coming out, the Scorpio race is going to come out as a movie. I highly recommend it, because you look at that, it reminds me of these demon creatures out of Revelation chapter 9. These, these, they're, they're like bodies of horses and these massive teeth, tail like a scorpion, flying around like a locust. Mercy. Listen to what else they're like. They have a victor's crown, a stephanos. They have faces like men, which some people believe refers to their intelligence, and hair like women, which David Jeremiah says, it speaks of their seductive nature. They have lions teeth, inflict damage, tear their prey verse 10, they have tails like uh, scorpions. And you wish, how badly you wish, you could die, but you can't unless you have the seal of God on your head. Then they, they bypass you. Does this remind you of anything? Does it remind you of any lake, the locust plagues in Egypt? Does it remind you of the, the blood of the firstborn and, and when it's over your door, it, it passes by? There's, there's a lot of commonality here with the locust plagues, with the ten plagues. And with this story. Verse 5 says, basinos, three times. It's going to be painful, painful, painful. And whether Dr. Patterson is right or others are right, listen, it doesn't matter who's right. You just don't want to be here. It's going to be horrendous. Somebody says, well, I just don't know if I just want to believe or serve in a God that will let the devil out and just have his way. Can you blame him? Can you blame him? What a just God, what an awesome God, what a compassionate God. What a God of grace and mercy. He would even write a letter and tell us what's going to happen. Verse 6, it's an amazing verse to me. So many will seek death, seek suicide. And yet verse 6, so ominously it says, But death will flee from them. They can't kill themselves. This five-month duration. So in Revelation chapter 9, in this highly charged, intense, apocalyptic genre of literature, which, by the way, there's so much apop- apocalyptic genre of literature, from interstellar to uh, the Lord of the Rings that I mentioned, even Star Wars years ago, even to more movies that are on the horizon. It's like mankind is absolutely fascinated with future Surely there's this cosmic battle on the horizon between good and evil, and you better believe it is. And God has given us a forewarning even through secular literature and secular plays and movies. It's absolutely fascinating to me. These people will try to kill themselves, but they can't. We have a fallen star. We have um, a bottomless pit. We have hideous, harmful, horrible creatures Ask me what I really think about those grotesque demons. And then number four, we have a destructive angel. Now, watch this real quick as we wrap up. The destructive angel in verse, what is that, y'all, verse 11, is the fallen star of verse 1. Don't miss that. It's one and the same person. He has this name uh, in Hebrew, Abaddon, which means destruction. In the Greek, it's apollyon. It means destroyer. Don't forget, the devil is still God's devil. God uses him. But what's so interesting is when the devil is unleashed and these demons, as John Wolford points out, you begin to see the real character of the devil. Listen to this quote. Such is the character of Satan and those who affiliate with him as wicked or fallen angels. Listen, church, this is absolutely, you've got to hear this. I'm afraid if you don't hear this, you're going to miss the whole narrative. Listen, you may be watching on TV or Internet, or you may be sitting here today, and you don't believe in the devil. You don't believe in demonic forces. You don't believe in fallen angels. You don't believe in Antichrist and false prophets and beasts. But God does. And the Word of God takes them most seriously. But watch what happens. And Wolford just captures this beautifully. Though in the modern world, Satan often appears as an angel of light in the role of that which is good and religious. But here, the mask is stripped away, and the evil is seen in its true character. When divine restraint is released, as in this instance, the true character of the evil one is manifestly is manifested immediately. After the destructive angel, I want you to look at future judgments, and that's the last thing. Future judgments. Very simply stated, verse 12 says, One woe is past, two more are yet to come. In other words, the fifth trumpet is sounded, the sixth trumpet, and the seventh trumpet will sound, and that will conclude the Trumpet judgments, which will usher in the bowl judgments. 1205. Thank you, Lord. I did it. I did. I did it. I thought it would take me a long time, but I wanted you to get this message. Somebody said, unless you're an angel or preach to angels, you really shouldn't preach over 30 minutes. That bothers me. I'm having a hard time with that quote. That's been on my mind because I know I'm no angel. (laughs) We're not angels, all right? So we'll wrap it up. Not to promise I'll always preach 30 minutes or less. How does this make you feel? Do you walk away today with a sense God is amazing. God has captured in vivid, picturesque, descriptive language. What is going to happen? And the hearts of man are going to be so hardened, they won't even believe. Some of your hearts are hardened today. Can I tell you this? Please, before it's too late, would you give your life to Christ? He who stiffens his neck, even though he's often rebuked, will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy, Proverbs 29.1. Listen, I invite you to give your life to Christ. I do. I I plead with you. I implore you because I don't want you to go through this torturous experience. I don't want you to be deceived by the evil one. Man, I want you to be cleaned in the blood of Jesus. I want you to be a part of his church. I want you to be a part of the winning team because I promise you this. It looks like the devil is just winning, and sometimes he gets some skirmishes. He gets some battles under his belt. But glory to God, one glorious day, the king will manifest himself. He will reign. Man, you think Gandalf is bad? You ain't seen nothing yet? You think Oslin the lion is strong? Woo! there is a lion of the tribe of Judah, and man, he is awesome, and I worship him. I worship him today. Oh, my dear friend, Father, I pray in the name, of, of the name above every name, Jesus. Lord, there would be be those that would listen to this, and they would worship you, and they would say, God, thank you. Thank you that you're such an awesome God. Yes, you're a God of justice, but you're also a God of mercy. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Salvation's door is open. Let us walk in. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts as followers of Christ. Lord, we often feel intimidated, outnumbered. We often feel like we're we're just going to lose. But Lord, forgive us of those thoughts and remind us, God, that in the end, we certainly win because you have won. Bless your church today, O God. I pray for our church here at Great Hills. I pray that you would bless us numerically. I pray that you would add people to our fellowship. I pray, God, you'd bless us financially. And I pray, God, more importantly, that you would bless us spiritually with a love for you, with a passion for you that is unquenchable. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As you stand to your feet, would you stand? Let's sing a song of praise, an invitation to the Lord. Thank you so much for listening, being attentive. God puts it on your heart. You need to come to the altar and pray. You just need to... and you need to give your life to Christ. You need to join our church, whatever your decision is. Let us encourage you as you come. God bless you as you come.